Good morning, Access. Um, thanks for joining us today. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. I remember the moment very distinctly. I yelled at the top of my lungs while making sure to enunciate every single word very clearly. I hate you. I really, really hate you. And I'm not just saying that to hurt you. I actually hate you. Of course, I added that last part because I really wanted to hurt him. I was a teenager when I said these really ugly words um, while on my stairwell in our house. And I don't know how my dad reacted because I couldn't see his face from where I was sitting. And all these years later, I, I wince. I wince when I think about what I said because these were mean-spirited words and I can never take them back. Um, but dad, if, if you're watching and listening today, I want you to know that I'm deeply sorry for what I said and I regret them and I love you very much. And I'm not just saying that uh, to make amends for what I said. When we lash out in hatred like that, and all of us have our moments, who do we hurt? Who gets hurt? I think in a situation like that, there are a lot of losers. The person who is on the receiving ends of those words, they are injured and they are hurt. And it doesn't matter how tough their skin is. But when we say things like that, we are also injured. It does something to our souls. And that kind of hatred injures our connection with God. We are in a series called The Connected Life, where we're reflecting on what it looks like to deepen our connection with God by examining the rich, rich text of John chapter 15. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Ted uh, helped illuminate for us how God, like a master gardener, prunes us so that we might bear much fruit. And then last week, we talked about uh, how Jesus gives us two specific commands, to remain and to ask, and how our responsibility isn't to bear much fruit, but instead to focus on remaining and asking. And if we do that, then the natural outcome will be bearing much fruit. Well, today we're gonna to conclude this three-part series uh, by looking at how, looking at the final verses of this section. I'd like to read the text beginning in verse five so that we can trace the flow of thought um, that goes through the, these verses. And again, as I read them, I invite you to listen to these life-giving words as though Jesus himself were saying them directly to us today. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Would you join me in praying? Gracious God, thank you for the gift of these words that show us how to deepen our connection with you, that show us how to remain in your love. I pray that you would speak to us and guide us during this time. In Christ's loving name we pray, amen. This passage continues to build upon and further expands the the thoughts that have already been laid in the preceding verses. Jesus is still talking about things like abiding, remaining, asking, and bearing fruit. But there's greater specificity in these verses, and there's an undeniable emphasis on love. Before, it was remain in me. Now, it's remain in my love. We learned last week that Jesus gave two commands, remain and ask. And now he adds a third command, love one another. In order to appreciate what Jesus is teaching here, we need to grapple again with the idea of the love of God. But that can be a challenge. For those of us who grew up in the church in some ways, it can all seem so very basic. And we've heard it so many times. Uh, for those of us you know, who grew up in the church, how many times have you heard, for God so loved the world? Tragically, God's love can begin to sound like a cliche. On the other hand, maybe you didn't grow up in the church uh, and you you look around at the world and all the actions and the words of the church, at least as it's portrayed in the media, uh, and you think loving is the last word I would describe, I would use to describe what I see. And so this passage gives us an occasion to remember or to hear afresh, to hear anew that the the Christian faith, the, the very foundation of our relationship with Jesus is built on the reality of God's perfect love. In fact, all of human existence is dependent on the love of God. In love, God created the heavens and the earth. And in love, God created you and me in our mother's womb. In love, God pursues us even when we've turned against him or walked away from him like the prodigal son. In love, God gave us his very own son. And in love, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us 
to give us forgiveness and reconciliation and new life. Love is the specific force that binds us to Jesus. Love is the specific force that inspires us to change and that empowers our transformation. This is the gravity of love. Love more than any other virtue most expresses the being of God. That is why 1 John 4, 8 puts it very plainly, God is love. To remain in Jesus generally, we must remain in Jesus' love specifically. Love is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Love is that important. It is that crucial. Which is why it's a really good thing that Jesus does provide some instructions as to how we might remain in his love. In verse 10, he says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus teaches us that we are to follow the pattern that he set for us. He kept his father's commands and remained in his love. love. Now the word keep means to observe or to fulfill, to pay attention to, to obey. And so Jesus is making a connection between keeping his commands and remaining in his love. Now, let's just name an important reality here. This is an extremely high bar to follow. And yet Jesus calls us to follow and imitate him. But it does raise an important question. None of us will keep his commands just like Jesus kept his father's commands that demands a level of perfection, which is unattainable for us. And I know that the only thing that I do with any regular consistency is fail to keep his commands. And so when we fail to follow God's commands, Jesus does suggest that it affects our ability to remain in his love. Now, listen really carefully. We can hear that as Well, if I don't follow through or I'm not perfectly faithful or if I disobey, God is going to withdraw his love from me. I think actually a lot of us hear it that way and that's what we believe. But listen closely, this cannot be what it means because one, that would just straight out contradict the gospel, which tells us that God loves us despite the fact that we have broken his every command. And secondly, it's not what it says. So imagine, for example, two people in an embrace hugging one another. Sometimes the two parties will pull back simultaneously. At other times, one person pulls back while the other still remains. When you and I aren't following in Christ's ways, uh, when we are willfully disobeying, it affects our ability to remain. It causes us to pull back from God's love, if you will. It is not God's love that has moved. We have moved. The original example of all this is, of course, Adam and Eve, who, after breaking God's one command, they hide. They hide. They internalize their disobedience to God as shame, and they recoil from God's love. 
Uh, a more recent example involves Abraham Piper, the son of the famed preacher and pastor John Piper. Uh, at age 19, he rejected his faith. And he said, uh, at first, I pretended that my reasoning was high-minded and philosophical. But really, I just wanted to drink gallons of sangria and sleep around. He would later return to the church four years later, um, only to leave again afterwards. Um, but at least he has the honesty to admit that his actions shaped his beliefs. We like to think that our beliefs shape our actions. Uh, and it's also true that we will often bend our beliefs to fit our actions. So when we willfully disobey God, it strains our connection to God's love. Not because God has removed his love, but because we have moved away from it. Last Sunday, I used the analogy that our connection with God is like a parent holding on to the hand of a young child. And even if that child should slip their hand away, the parent will instinctively and protectively grasp that child's hand and wrist tightly. I firmly believe God does that for us. But it's also true that it's a far more pleasant experience to walk with a child who is also walking with us uh, than to walk with a child kicking and screaming in the other direction. And all of this underscores something that seems, at least to me, from my perception, to be less emphasized these days. Perhaps the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction, where once so much emphasis was given on our behavior and our moralism, that now it's maybe swung to the other side too far, where it's just sort of like anything goes, and it doesn't matter what our actions are. And yet Jesus, I think, provides a, a much-needed corrective here to balance both perspectives, to say, yeah, our actions, our thoughts— whether they line up with God's will and his commands, they do matter and they affect in a profound way our connection with God. And so to put it plainly, let's not expect to be close to God if we have no intention of listening to him. Now, earlier I mentioned that this passage goes from general to specific with a particular emphasis on love. And that plays out exactly in the following verse. Jesus moves from keeping his commands in general to a very specific command. In verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So let's build on what we've already talked about thus far. When we fail to love one another as Jesus intended, or when we hate our, uh, our siblings or our neighbors or coworkers or those from a different uh, political party, uh, that act against our fellow human being affects our ability to remain in God's love. Perhaps you and I would like to think, well, you know, why should how I treat another person or think about another person uh, impact how I relate to God? You know, shouldn't those be separate things? Well, no, they're not. The scriptures make it crystal clear that they are not separate things. That how we treat our neighbor is tightly interwoven with our relationship with God. 
1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, that person is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is why Jesus says that, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He links them together. Love of God, love of neighbor. They are two sides of the same coin. And so there's this inextricable link uh, between how we love one another and remaining in God's love. Now, I find this really fascinating because Jesus' command here has very little to do with the classic practices, the classic spiritual disciplines that we generally associate with being close to God. You know, prayer, reading the word, fellowship, worship, examine, like Christy had mentioned last week. Of course, these are all indispensable to a life of following after God. But here in these verses, Jesus introduces to us a new spiritual practice, something highly relational, very concrete, and exceedingly hard to do. We might call this the practice of self-giving love. The love Jesus wants us to put into practice is so much more than sentimentality. This kind of love is nothing less than the laying down of one's life. The laying down of one's life. It is a Philippians 2 kind of love. It is a love that sacrifices deeply to see others flourish. It is a love that forgives 70 times 7 times. It is a love that speaks the truth even when it's uncomfortable. It is a love that admits when it is wrong. It is a love that stays committed to those with whom we may disagree vehemently. It is a love that weeps with those who weep, rejoices with those who rejoice. It is a love that offers a meal, a place to stay, a shoulder to lean on, a hand to hold, and hope. It is love that is willing to be inconvenienced and disrupted. disrupted. It is love that says yes to the cross. This is a tall order. And perhaps maybe we find some consolation in the fact that Jesus says, I'll do this for your friends, which may sound a little bit easier. Uh, you know, at least Jesus isn't telling us to love our enemies. After all, how hard can it be to love those we call friends? But let's not forget that Jesus said these, said these things right before his subsequent betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. Let's not forget that Jesus knew that in the next few moments, one of his friends would betray him and all of his other friends would desert him. So you wanna know what might be harder than loving an enemy? Loving a friend who has stabbed you in the back or has wounded you deeply.
when we love others in this way, when we lay down our lives for another person, it goes against the fibers of our human nature. But when we choose to engage in this way of love, we move into a life-giving dependence on Christ, who is perfect love embodied. We can only consistently love in this way with the love of Christ flowing and pulsating through our veins. In our pandemic world, in our racially and socially broken world, we are seeing the tide of hatred rise all around us. And it is flooding our news feeds, it is flooding our relationships, it is flooding our discourse and our conversation. It is flooding our thoughts, our hearts and our souls. And I fear that we who say that we follow Jesus have drunk from that cup of hatred and it is literally poisoning our souls and it is poisoning and doing injury to our relationship with God, our connection with God. And it is doing injury to the name of God. So may the Lord forgive us. May the Lord help us turn from our hatred and our apathy and our self-absorption into his love. He taught us that by your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. And so the next time you and I feel like lashing out um, at our parents or our kids or our spouse or our coworker or an acquaintance on social media or that person driving next to you. Next time you feel like hitting someone with your fist or your words, Next time you feel like ignoring or slighting or hurting someone in your life, may God give us the strength and the wisdom to pause and to remember his words. Let us strive to be a people that practices love. For then, we will remain deeply connected to the love of God. For then, our joy will be complete and our fruit will be plentiful and lasting. Amen. I'd like to invite us into a brief time of quiet reflection so that we can listen for God's voice and ask God, God, what do you, what do you want us to know today? There are some questions that might guide your time of reflection, but let's take this time to sit with what the Lord is saying to us this morning.
Let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it. Where we envision peace and work to build it. Where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship. Where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.